This is Women's Australian Rules Football on RSN 927's digital channel Carnival. I'm Peter Holden and welcome to the show for another week. Just a quick reminder, this program is available as a podcast by going to Google Podcasts, iTunes or SoundCloud and searching for Women's Australian Rules Football Radio. And excellent news, we are now on Spotify. You can find us by just opening up your Spotify player and searching in podcasts for Women's Australian Rules Football Radio. It's easy as that. Coming up on this week's show, we were at the VFLW season launch and we caught up with Williamstown coach Amy Carter the new coach of the Geelong VFLW side in Natalie Wood, and a Akeket Chad, who switched from Carlton to Richmond. They'll all be coming up. We'll review the AFL Europe Champions League that was played over the weekend with William Schillerber from AFL England. Plus, there's the Sandford Women's Report with Ali Schiller. We also have our first AFL Sydney Women's Report of the Year with Lauren Hodson. And Coach Kiwi drops by to review Conference B and how they went in the 2019 AFLW season. But first, to the latest women's footy news. Plenty of news to get through, so let's begin first of all by having a look at the AFLW Club Best and Fairest Award winners so far, noting that Brisbane and Carlton have yet to hold their awards as of recording. Uh, at Adelaide, it was taken out by the League Best and Fairest and Aaron Phillips. At Collingwood, Jamie Lambert. At Fremantle, Kiara Bowers. At Geelong, Megan McDonald. At the GWS Giants, Beck Beeson. At Melbourne, Karen Paxman. At North Melbourne, Jennifer Bruton. And at the Western Bulldogs by Monique Conti. In coaching news, there's now a vacancy for the head coaching role at the Collingwood Football Club. The Magpies choosing not to renew Wayne Siegman's contract, so that ends his tenure there after three years, uh, coaching Collingwood to a wooden spoon this year with just the one victory in Conference B. The names linked to the job so far include Penny Kula-Reed, the head coach of the Collingwood VFLW program. She took them to a minor premiership last year. Another name linked to the position is Nicole Graves, who has just departed Carlton. She was their general manager of women's football and it's been noted she's been looking for other opportunities, whether it's Collingwood, whether it's going back to WA to have a role at West Coast or Fremantle or something else on the horizon in football or another sport. We see what happens with Nicole Graves. Another name linked to the job is former Adelaide AFLW coach, took them to their inaugural premiership in 2017 in Beck Gutter. She was on the shortlist for the Gold Coast Suns position. And another person who was on the shortlist for the Gold Coast Suns position was Patrick Hill. Patrick, of course, led the Hawthorne VFLW side to the premiership last year. So it'll be interesting to see if he is also another contender for the Collingwood position. Time will tell who will be the Magpies coach for 2020. Let's have a look at what's happening with the players with a lot of movement so far. The biggest one, of course, at the Adelaide Crows. There was talk that Chelsea Randall might be returning home to WA and was linked to the West Coast Eagles. She has signed on for one more year with the Crows. She'll be taking some time off, actually, over the winter and heading to Ireland, where she's going to play a couple of games of Gaelic football. So a bit of a reverse scenario. We've had Gaelic football players coming here to play in the AFLW. Now we've got an AFLW champion having a crack at Gaelic football, which is uh, fantastic to see. At the Brisbane Lions, there has been some movement already. Bella Eyre has retired at just the age of 20 due to some injuries and her desire to uh, get a job in the police force. Sabrina Frederick-Traub has moved to Victoria as of recording the club to be confirmed, but strongly linked with the Richmond Football Club. And Tory Groves Little has been poached by the Gold Coast Suns, taken as an expansion signing. No movement yet at the Carlton Football Club. At the Collingwood Football Club, they've signed a bunch of players, including captain Steph Chiocci, They've signed Sophie Alexander, Britt Benici, Sarah Dargan, 
Erica Fowler, Eliza Hines and Ruby Slicer. Uh, players that have left include Darcy Guttridge and Illish Ross looking for opportunities elsewhere uh, to be confirmed which clubs they end up at. No movement yet at Fremantle despite the West Coast Eagles uh, flagging their desire to sign up to the maximum of eight players from the Dockers. At the Geelong Football Club, Erin Hoare has semi-retired uh, due to getting a fellowship with her research. She'll be over in Cambridge University in the UK and Boston over the next uh, year and a half. So stay tuned for when we may see the return of Erin Hoare. Officially listed on the AFLW website as retired, but we're listing her as semi-retired. For the Gold Coast Suns, they've signed a bunch of under-18s players, including Charlotte Hammonds, uh, Ali Hampson. Uh, they've also signed uh, Katara wap And they've also picked up Jamie Stanton, who originally was with the Brisbane Lions, played this year with the North Melbourne Tasmanian Kangaroos, but she is returning to Queensland. Jamie Stanton at Gold Coast, along with Tory Groves. Little, no movement yet at Greater Western Sydney or at Melbourne. Uh, North Melbourne's lost a couple of players, as we mentioned, Jamie Stanton going to the Gold Coast. Alison Drennan is going to the St Kilda Saints. Alison did play with the Southern Saints in the VFLW last year, so technically a bit of a homecoming. And Moana Hope has been delisted. The former AFLW marquee player, will she find another home? It would technically be her fourth club as she's played with the Western Bulldogs in the exhibition games, Collingwood for the first two seasons, North Melbourne, Tasmania this year. Can she find a fourth AFLW home? That's the question for 2020. The Richmond Football Club have announced their big signing. Katie Brennan, the co-captain of the Western Bulldogs, has signed a two-year deal and will be in the black and yellow. Congratulations to Katie on signing that deal. At St Kilda, as we mentioned, they've picked up Alison Drennan from North Melbourne, Tasmania. They've also signed some under-18 players, including Molly McDonald and Isabella Shannon, and through their academy, Alison Brown. For the West Coast Eagles, they've signed Michaela Bowen and Rosie Deegan, as you heard last week on the program. They were both under-18s players. And at the Western Bulldogs, as we've mentioned, Katie Brennan has gone to Richmond. They're still yet to find a deal with Libby Birch at the time of this recording. Libby has flagged an interest to move to Melbourne. So watch this space. And joining us here is the new head coach of the VFLW level for the Geelong Cats. We knew her as a star many years ago for Darabin and a number of premierships in the VWFL. It's great to have Natalie Wood. Natalie, how are you? Oh, very well, thank you. Thanks for having me. How does it feel now to be sitting in the big chair, moving up from assistant coach as you were last year in the VFLW to now being in charge of the squad? Yeah, it's um, definitely a big, big change. And over the summer with um, trying to have pre-season with VFLW and also the being an assistant at the AFLW, the first sort of few months has been around managing uh, where people are going to be at different times from the players' perspective and coaches' perspective because um, we had our sessions sort of backed onto each other. Um, so it's been a bit more of a management role in the first few months, but now that AFLW's finished, um, get to really sink my teeth into the VFL squad and um, the girls have been training diligently uh, since the start of the year and a lot of our players um, that are in the squad at the moment have been elevated out of our AFL Barwon League, which is just a um, tremendous um, opportunity for our players and to come from the AFL Barwon, especially given that it's only one year old. So we're really fortunate to, to have that league on our doorstep and uh, to keep helping to grow players that come from there. Come to AFL Barwon in just a moment, but for yourself personally, as we go back, you quite an accomplished uh, VWFL career, almost 200 games, numerous premierships, All-Australians. 
when it got to 2015, it looked like AFLW was on the horizon. Was it a difficult decision for you of, should I stick around and maybe have a crack at it? Or was it already in your head at that stage, let's transition to coaching? Um, it was a really difficult decision to, to finish playing. Um, I was making that decision at the end of 2014. Um, and at that stage, AFLW was 2020. Uh, and I knew there was no way I was going to be playing football when I was 41. So uh, that sort of, that wasn't really a dream at that point. And it was more around my career. I was working as a teacher in Melbourne and had an opportunity to move down to the Geelong area as an assistant principal. And that did mean having to leave football. And I remember having really good chats with Richard Delpos at the time and talking about, you know, if I could go to another club uh, down the area. And it was just, was never an option not, not to play at Darabin. Um, so, yeah, the decision to stop playing was really difficult, but decided to put um, my career first. And then I was probably a few months after that that they decided to go 2017. And, um, yeah, so for me, that, that door was already shut. So we look at the uh, first few years for the Geelong VFLW. This was prior to actually AFL Barwon starting and a very close relationship at that stage with North Geelong Magpies and Drysdale Hawks who were playing in the AFL Goldfields competition. How has that changed now that because you've got all these teams in the AFL bar and competition about, I guess, spreading yourselves as Geelong staff to, I guess, giving advice to coaches, players, etc. For the for the eventual players, as you said, with your talent, they're going to feed through to you. Yeah, the relationship with all of AFL Barwon, from um, AFL Barwon um, administration through to the individual clubs, the players and the, the coaches is really important. Like, you're really correct with that. Um, it's terrific that Geelong was able to expand so quickly and, like you said, go from the um, North Geelong Magpies and Drysdale to essentially a, um, you know, their one competition and having um, your 12, 12 teams. As that keeps growing and for it to grow, that they've had to lean on, um, I guess, the expertise of, of the Geelong Football Club. And Paul Hood's just been absolutely fantastic. I, I think he knows every single person in Geelong uh, and he knows he has a really good relationship with um, all the clubs in Geelong. So he's he's been able to really forge great working relationships with the coaches. Um, and I guess that's part of my role now in stepping into the head coach is to really... Um, in my own right, make those relationships and really forge strong bonds so that um, players that aren't playing in our VFL, that um, I'm able to have weekly conversations with their coaches when they're going back to local club and, and making sure that we've got the best interests of the player development in mind. Talking about close relationships, the Geelong Falcons, not only do they give you the fantastic Nina Morrison and Olivia Purcell, but how important has it been to not actually have that close relationship, but the Geelong Falcons so early to have that winning culture? Yeah, um, it is it is fantastic. Jason Armstead um, and his team down at Geelong Falcons do a fantastic job. Um, and Jason, in his own coaching development, he gets into the club as well um, and works with some of the, the AFL men coaches to grow his um, develop his coaching expertise. So there's a really good relationship there. But um, it is has been fantastic for the Falcons to have a winning culture. And obviously they won. They won last year and a number of successful um, people, players in the under-18 country team and, and hopefully that's the case this year. Um, it's The Geelong region is obviously really important to the Geelong Cats. Um, the Geelong Falcons and AFL Barwon are both really important parts of that. Talking about the Geelong region, you've got Deakin University, you play games out of there, but the club actually has a very close relationship with the university. Can you explain that? Yeah, Deakin have been absolutely fantastic, um, in ter and Jane Holland, in, in terms of really backing women's sport. Um, 
to enable um, that there was a relationship before the our female arm of football at Geelong Cats, so that sort of goes across the men's program as well. But it has been um, fantastic. Obviously, Deakin Uni is the only university in Geelong, so the more alliances that you can form sort of locally in the Geelong area, the better. And uh, we can't fault the how great Deakin have been, and the oval out at Deakin is fantastic. Um, it's you know windy by day and. Uh, still by night when we get to train um, but it's it's MCG size so um, and the quality of the deck's fantastic. Towards the latter part of uh, 2018 it became known that you were going to take over as head coach of the VFLW to allow Paul Hood to concentrate full-time on AFLW. Can you explain that transition near the end of the year? Was there a case of maybe Paul not saying hands off but was starting to give you a little bit more responsibility to prepare you to take over? Yeah, I guess there was a bit of a um, transition that happened. Um, at the end of 2017, um, I decided to uh, take a bit of a risk and, and take the year off away from my assistant principal role. Um, my dad had passed away that year and it had just been a sort of a bit of a, a tough year and sort of questioning a number of things that I was doing. So um, taking the year away from education actually allowed me to um, spend time at the club and just be in um, learning as much as I could and just when I wanted. So from, I guess, hanging around in the club and yeah. going to their meetings and, and working with them, um, I was then employed part-time to sort of help develop some um, player development models across VFL. And I guess from just spending time in there, I was able to show uh, the qualities and attributes that I have. And um, a lot of those transfer across from education really well into the coaching space. So. Um, then I was offered the, the full-time job, so there was just sort of a natural progression in terms of my time spent in at the club. Um, and Hoodie and I, have, you know, we sit next to each other in our offices, and um, yeah, we've got a fantastic relationship, and we're always bouncing ideas off each other. So we've probably sort of more work side by side rather than um, handing over roles at this stage. Talking about the full-time role, I guess two points too that uh, one. Does it feel like there's a pressure off your shoulder now that because you're not part-time, you're full-time, you can just concentrate on football, not having to worry about another job and other aspects of life? And also, can you give us a bit of an insight, as the first female full-time VFLW coach, what is your week made up of? Yeah, very good question. It changes sort of um, week to week, and obviously the last couple of months with AFLW is going to look really different to what it looks like at the moment. My biggest um, opportunity for growth in there is spending as much time with the um, men's program as possible. Um, so I try and attend um, at least half of their meetings and a half of their training sessions. Uh, I do need to get my actual job done at times, so, um, so I need to be mindful of how I balance my days. Um, so being in there, um, coding games after weekends, uh, meeting players, uh, I've been, I've put together our player feedback models, so the information players get after every game, um, planning meetings, doing opposition analysis, um, so it's sort of a the normal week of, um, of football in season, uh, I guess I'm really fortunate that I do get the opportunity to work full time. Um, because all our training is of an evening, um, so obviously I roll through to being quite late, sort of 9, 10 o'clock at night, so one of my challenges is actually trying to scheduled time of not being in there and, and sort of not spending too much time at the club. You mentioned about gleaning some stuff from the men's program. 
how much can you take across the men's to women's program? I noticed that there was some mistakes at AFLW back in 2017, the inaugural season. Some women's teams tried to straight off the bat copy the men's game plan without realising the women's game wasn't at that level yet. How much can you take from that to implement what you currently have at VFLW women's level? When you get to see what the what the guys do um, day in, day out, and especially in their pre-season, um, they're their focus on fundamentals and breaking skills down and and working on the really simple things that's that's the thing that I really take away that that they're able to do the more complex things come game days and more complex game plans because of the work they spend on the simple things so that's been really um, enlightening for me to see that the value in breaking down the skills and giving the players opportunities to really work in isolation um, in their craft in different areas so um, that's definitely something that I've taken away um, from from the way that the men's program operate um, and that'll be something that we continue to work on with our AFLW and our VFLW teams as well as just trying to um, pitch pitch our plan at, at the players level but keep trying to improve the players level as we go along. What are the numbers looking like with the squad for signed players, considering, I guess, with the AFLW equation, you've obviously got to wait for who's getting delisted there and who's delisted that wants to stay on and who's delisted that wants to go? Yeah, so um, the AFL sign-and-trade period uh, starts next Monday the 8th and rolls through to the 18th. So um, I can't finalise the VFL squad um, until Ben Waller has, gives me the information out of the AFL. Um, and obviously uh, we really pride our VFLW program, so uh, our intention is to have um, the... AFLW players, all of them who are fit and able to participate in our VFL program to do so. Um, so yeah, final numbers will be in, in a couple of weeks. Um, but we've had strong numbers in our squad uh, VFL, so we've sort of established a primary list and a de development list at the moment. Um, and from the development list, um, players will get elevated. It's just a matter of how many that's going to be. And just stepping one back to AFL Bowen, their representative coach has been announced. It will be the Geelong AFLW captain and your former teammate at Darabin in Mal Hickey will be taking over the reins. For the VFLW season, what role do you see Mel playing? Will she be playing predominantly as a player? Will you see her um, assisting in coaching in any aspect? Um, yeah, Mel, obviously with her ACL last year, she spent some time um, doing some assistant coaching work at Darabin, so she's dipping her toes into what the coaching element looks like and uh, she's really keen to take on the interleague role and um, I guess it sort of um, has a, a really clear sort of start and end date for her, so it's something that she feels she can manage as well as making sure that she's getting um, footy time and, and fitness in as well. So she missed a lot of football last year, so she'll be really keen um, once she's had a break to come back in the VFLW season um, and get back to um, you know, working on some of the skills that we perhaps rushed through in order to get her back for round three. And, and credit to her, she was absolutely fantastic. And um, each game that the AFLW went on, um, Mal just kept getting better and better. So, uh, yeah, we really look forward to having her, giving her that opportunity to develop herself. Um, but she's just an incredible motivator. Um, and she's such an inspiration to the other players uh, around the club. So uh, the way she goes about it, she'll, you know, whether it's formally or informally in a sort of coaching mentor role, uh, she'll always drag players along with her because they're just incredibly inspired by her. Well, no, thank you very much for joining us here on Women's Australian Rules Football on RSN Carnival. We wish you and the Cats all the very best throughout the 2019 VFLW season. Terrific. Thank you for having me. 
and we're joined here by the head coach of the Wimstown VFLW side in Amy Catterall. Amy, how does it feel coming into season two now that you've had a crack at it through the inaugural season last year? Oh, how do I compare it? Um, you know, I keep saying, everyone keeps asking me the same question, and I keep saying it's easier, but it's not. So, um, you know, starting a program from scratch and, you know, coming into a club that's been predominantly men for 150 years and getting all the logistics out of the way. I think this year is more footy focused. Um, you know, we have half a new side and they're all young and really fit and the vibe around the club is very different. It's um, Everyone's very excited and keen because, you know, half the team, it's going to be their first year of VFL. So um, for me, it's it's easier, but it's not because <laughs> you know, I'm building a, another team from scratch, basically. But it's... Um, it's easy in logistical ways and stuff like that. It's very exciting. As much as you've had the turnover, which we'll get to in a moment, how important was it, although you finished near the bottom end of the table, but to have those few wins just near the back end of 2017 to, I guess, build confidence for this year? Yeah, we won our last three in a row and our last game, um, I think, you know, the girls celebrated like it was a grand final. They had a really great match. Um, and it does, it builds confidence and, and, you know, it shows the women that if we keep working hard, it will, it will come it will all come together and um, I think it was a big ask uh, last year for them to bring it together any earlier considering we started really late with our pre-season but this year we started really early and you know got getting the girls to know each other and how each other plays so I guess you never really know what the AFL teams are going to do or who they're going to play so we can only play our game and concentrate on what we're doing. How difficult is the next couple of weeks period because um, th throughout April is obviously the AFL draft period, uh, pardon me, trade period along with the um, delistings etc that they all have to make per side. Is it a case of just standing by the phone and working the phones once all of a sudden a player's name just dropped, okay do you want a second chance and come to Williamstown? Um... Our team's nearly full, to be honest. Um, I haven't really focused too much on uh, the AFL uh, players because, like I said, we really need to focus on what we're doing. And, you know, we're coming up to our first practice match, not this weekend, next weekend against St Kilda. And, you know, I need kind of players that are going to be at Williamstown for the long run and, you know, not just jumping from, you know, AFL club to AFL club and coming in and out of our side. So consistency is really important for me and, you know, the way the AFLW and VFLW is working at the moment, it's hard to get that with AFL players. But in saying that, you know, if the right AFLW player came along um, and fit in with our culture and, and what we're trying to do at the club, then, you know, 100% we'd jump on board with that. But I wouldn't say I'm, <laughs> I'm at the phone ringing because, yeah. honestly, I'm not. Um, and I'd be a believer in, you know... Um, if it's meant to happen, it's going to happen. So, Well, on that point, you, you've lost the likes of Jenna Bruton, Jasmine Garner, for example, because they're going to be playing with Melbourne Uni, which is North yep. Melbourne's affiliate, because they've obviously signed to there. So in your mind, who has to take that step up and now provide that leadership that those players have gone? Well, we've just, um, and we've just announced our captains, and um, so I've got co-captains in uh, Jacinta Reid and Nikki Wallace. Uh, so obviously, you know, we'll be looking for them to step up and everyone that kind of played last year, um, it's their time now. But in saying that, I've just, you know, half of my new group is, is um, they're very positive and 
they show great leadership qualities. So I don't really think it's going to be a problem. And the team actually works, you know, really well together. You know, when you have the, you know, the key targets all the time and the dominant players, you know, they kind of just kick the ball in their direction and, and let them get the ball. Where now they can't do that. Now everyone's responsible and everyone's going to play a role. And I think a lot of people are going to shine this year, which, you know, we're kind of, you know, took a back step last year. So it's, for me, it's really, it's going to be really exciting to see them. Having a look at some of the Western Jets talents, who have you been impressed by over the uh, first couple of weeks in the NAB League girls competition that will hopefully be feeding through to you at Williamstown? Uh, at the moment, we're talking to, well, I'm hopefully we're going to be talking to Ruby. So um, we haven't talked with her. And Cleo's obviously, you know, a standout. Uh, but like I said, we weren't really allowed to talk to anyone until, you know, April 1st. It's kind of, yeah. you know, the information that I was getting. And, you know, I'm not sure where they see themselves so um, you know talks will be had with uh, the TAC and I'm really kind of gentle with those talks because they are kids and you know I just want them to enjoy their football and get the best out of it whether it's with us or someone else so yeah I don't really put any pressure on that sort of area and just you know Steve generally has conversations with the TAC girls and then I'll come in afterwards once they're kind of keen to have a chat. Uh, in that first year of Williamstown, the VFLW, you picked a, a lot of players that were formerly from ex-VFLW clubs that came to your side. Looking into your own backyard, it's only in its infancy, the Western Region Football League and its women's competition. How have you viewed the standard of that? And is there anyone at the moment coming through from those ranks feeding into Williamstown? Do you mean like certain clubs? Or, uh, or, or for, for, for players in general and, and the standard? Um, I, I picked up a couple of... Um, women from the Northern League and they were extremely impressive um, and I've, I've only picked up a couple of more that were ex -VF, from ex-VFL clubs but the rest have come from am amateur leagues and in, in, in the Eastern um, and probably half Eastern, half Western we've picked up in the Ammo Leagues and the Western Region League but I think just the step up from the pre-season and being so fit now that they're definitely, if they went back to play local there will be you know, stand out in their local divisions. But I think, you know, the more participation we have and I think the more education we have with coaches coaching women um, and, what's, and what level that they're at, I think it's only going to excel from there. Retaining the same coaching staff or have there been changes in the off-season? Uh, so I've retained two being um, Troy and Jason Quinn. Um, Troy is my senior assistant now and uh, Jason remains as a backline coach. Um, and I've also picked up uh, Adam and Lockie, which, you know, my midfield and forward coach. But I also uh, did a call-up to Bernadette Marantali. So she was one of my first coaches when I started playing about 15 years ago. Um, and, you know, she was a very good footballer, won two store gifts. So, you know, a great athlete. And um, I, I felt really strongly about getting another female presence that knew about women's football involved with our team. So, you know, I made a phone call and I was lucky enough that she's come down and not in any certain role, but more of you know, assisting the program as a whole. So, you know, that's been really great. You were talking earlier about being smarter with the football and everyone and putting in. If you were to look at 2017, what's the one key area that you actually want to improve on as part of your KPIs for the side in 2018? Uh, transition. We, we got, you know, when the ball got out, we just couldn't keep up. And I think, you know, we worked a lot on our fitness and that's why we've recruited a lot of faster players. Um, and just being more aware. So... Um, just being aware, especially aware of where players are. So when the ball came out, especially against NT, they were so quick. And when the ball came out, they were just gone and we couldn't keep up with them. So for me, working on our transition and, and stuff like that is pretty important. 
not only do you have the VFLW season, but you have an additional game in there. You're actually hosting the GWS Giants early in the season at Point Jellybrand. Yeah, round one, actually. We have a bye round one, and so we're, we're going... We're not having a break. We're going to play against GWS, and I think that'd be a really good time to see where our team's at. Um, you know, given it's the first round, it's the first game, but um, it'll be a good indicator to see, you know, what we need to work on and what we're doing well. Well, Amy, thanks again for joining us here on Women's Australian Rules Football on RSN Carnival. We wish you all the very best for season 2018. Thanks for having me. I just want to take this moment to talk about leaguetees.com.au. They're the home of retro footy gear with designs by local artists that you just simply won't find anywhere else. And for supporters of women's footy, their women's footy tees help raise funds for Indigenous literacy programs. How good is that? You can find out more by going to leaguetees.com.au. That address, leaguetees.com.au. Check them out. Leaguetees.com.au And joining us now from the Richmond Tigers, Akek Chart. Akek, thanks for joining us. First of all, how are you finding the transition from Carlton to Richmond? Um, the transition's been really good. The girls at Richmond have made the transition super awesome. Um, it was um, obviously a um, great group of girls at, at, at Carlton, um, but now I just made um, some awesome um, sisters down at Carl, um, Richmond uh, Tigerland. Going back a few years, you mentioned uh, during the launch that you'd won four premierships at Swan Districts under Nicole Graves there in the WAWFL. Um, how do you find the difference from adjusting from WA football, which many talk about being like an outside running game, to the more inside midfielder game in Victoria? Yeah, uh, yeah it's, they're two different styles. Um, I'm really loving um, um, over over here because um, it's a lot more structured um, and as you say it, um, everything starts in the midfield uh, and then it just branches out um, and I'm just I'm just kind of understanding that the different concept and how I can bring my ball game which is um, which is obviously getting the ball and running um, into that so I kind of also get to bring my flavor of W footy um, into the Victorian Football League which is really exciting. With the evolution of the different playing style in AFLW, I recall back to 2016 in the exhibition series, you played for West Coast against Fremantle in that game. You were in the ruck dominating there. You came to Victoria, though, and you actually played more on the wing with Carlton. Yeah, uh, yeah. I was actually playing as a halfback, and for some reason I always found myself on the wing because um, on the wing was where I naturally played. So it's that, that ability to be able to push up um, as a ruck because obviously when you play in a ruck, you kind of learn to move mm. around the ground all the time you have that ground awareness so I think that's um, that's why I ended up so much on the wing um, at Carlton and uh, and sometimes you go to, to games where you're playing for example at Caseyfield mm. and the wind plays a massive um, um, you know um, massive role in, in how the game turns out so um, a lot of the players become on one wing or so then you then have to push up in order for the ball to go back um, to the forward line so yeah what are Richmond looking at with you, to, with your role for 28, uh, pardon me, 2019? Um, just doing what I do. Um, so I'm going to be more in the back line, the halfback this year, and just using uh, my, my speed um, and obviously uh, my kicking um, to really get that, um, to, to be able to punch the ball out and get the ball moving forward. So, and then obviously transitioning back in and defending. So, yeah. Is there additional pressure at Richmond, particularly with all the players around you, knowing that they're going to be in the AFLW next year? So for some players, it's it's almost an audition under the coach to try and get that AFLW spot. Um, well, for for some players, uh, but for me, when I when I went to Richmond Tigerland, it was just to enjoy my footy again, um, and it was great being a part of the AFLW um, the first season, and I. I 
got that I really can play at that high level of footy and I would obviously love to play again uh, but for, for a lot of the girls I think we're just taking it one step at a time at the moment and that is the VFLW um, season um, once we get the VFLW season right um, everything will fall into place and that's just how I see um, um, so that's how I just see my season pending out. Whatever happens after the VFL season is, is a great bonus. Um, and I think most of the girls are like that at the moment. And the coaches have been really great um, with how they communicate um, all of that um, to, to the players. Um, and there's, there's no pressure at all to, you need to be this, you need to be that, so we can put you um, AFLW team. It's just been about the VFLW um, program is number one. Um, and then... Every, whatever happens afterwards happens, so yeah. You mentioned during the summer you were concerning poss about possibly walking away from the game. What was probably frustrating you about it and, and what helped you find the love again for the game? Um, I think what was frustrating was the fact that um, obviously for me as somebody who started, I was 19 when I started footy, and for me it's always been that development aspect. And so packing my three bags to come to Melbourne, it was to get developed and possibly getting another shot at AFLW and um, unfortunately that didn't happen but um, it was just the pressure people put on themselves to, to make AFLW and, and, and all of that and it's like for me I was like this is not fun this is really not fun I really just want to when you're having fun you become elite um, and you, you you get to love your footy this we all love this game and that's why we put in the amount of hours to, to go to training and work hard um, so for me, going to a different club was awesome because the, the girls at, at Carlton were amazing, but it was an opportunity to just start fresh, um, go to an, a group of people that I didn't know, um, and I only knew one girl in, in the whole team um, at Richmond, and it was, it was just amazing. Um, we had a lot of community girls, um, community-level girls that just came, that just want to you know, learn about yeah. footy. We had girls that never played footy before. We had volleyball players. Um, and it was just awesome seeing that, that these girls were just so committed to three days training, coming in, just wanting to really just learn about footy. Um, and it just made just footy really enjoyable again. And I, I was working really hard. The girls were working really hard during the pre-season. Um, and it just, that just made the whole transition into the Tigerlands um, really easy. As you mentioned during the launch that you played soccer and dominated in soccer before coming across to Aussie Rules, and I guess this is relevant because we do have a number of cross-coders at AFLW level and now at VFLW level trying to get up to the next level. Um, how hard is it to adjust from dominating in one sport, being the top of the tree, the big fish in a small pond, to coming to a new sport and then all of a sudden you're more at the back of the pack and you find that there's other players above you dominating and having to work your way back up? Um, for me, like um, it wasn't like I was obviously playing uh, with girls like Chelsea Randall, Cara Donnellan. So I had all these superstars of the game that people knew about. Um, I was playing with, and um, it was it was just awesome. It was an opportunity. Like I was realistic about the fact that I know nothing about this game. All I know is I just watched the West Coast Eagles and the the AFL competition. Um, so for me, I was really real about the fact that I am not going to get this overnight. It's going to be something that's going to come over time. Um, so. I was I told myself I just needed to trust the process and learn from the girls. So I had amazing role models that always spoke to me if I didn't do a kick properly, if I like just giving me tips to get better at my game. And I think that's that's what a lot of the girls that are cross coders need to understand that it's not something you're gonna pick up overnight. It's something that's gonna it's gonna it's gonna it's a progressive um, 
effort and it just happens when it happens I guess it's not something that you have to force and just people just need to stop being so hard on themselves because kicking a footy is different from kicking a, a, a soccer ball so for me I knew that from when I was going into footy um, and it made my transition so easy and I was able to go to like a, a Chelsea Randall or like go to um, Kirby Manley I was able to go to those girls and say hey girls um, can somebody help me with my kicking and I'll be doing like 20 minutes kicking after after footy or before footy um, just to get my head around it because I knew that it was going to be um, a, a process. Putting on your other hat for a moment, you work in uh, diversity with the AFL. Um, traditionally, the women's game coming through has probably been dominated by those of more Caucasian background. We haven't really seen many players from the African or Asian or Pacific communities. Working at more at a grassroots level, and particularly the influence and now all the girls signing up to play Aussie rules, how many are you seeing coming through from those diverse backgrounds wanting to join the game? And, and, and realistically, how far are we away from seeing, again, girls from the African, Asian and Pacific communities coming up to the national level? Um, with, it's really, really good because it obviously starts at grassroots and mm. with the um, AFLW, it's really grown. Um, so I run the, a program called the All Nations Program and that's the best uh, talent from across uh, um, Australia. But then we have a state program called the All Nations Victoria. And the All Nations Victoria, we see girls from Japan, we see girls from um, Papua New Guinea, we see girls from Fiji, we see girls from South Sudan, we see girls from Lebanon, we see girls from all over the world coming in, taking up these um, this new um, sports that sort. And they're actually really, really talented footballers. Um, so for, for me, it's always as, as somebody who runs these programs, then the next step to making sure that these young girls are enjoying their football right up to those state talented um, programs. And their parents understand that this is, um, this is the work that's is required for the girls to continue that pathway and I always just remind girls just enjoy your football um, because when you enjoy your football um, good things are going to come out of it and we're not really far off from seeing um, the next lot of, um, of young girls that we have worked with a few girls this year that are from the Western Jets and stuff and I'm I, I can like um, confidently say that we're not far off like when they get into their draft age in the next four or five years we'll see more more African girls more girls from the multicultural backgrounds um, really taking up football and um, getting into those um, elite pathways like the AFLW competition. And finally everyone's their own best critic so if you're looking from a, a self-improvement point of view what are you hoping to achieve out of the 2019 season? Um, what I'm hoping to achieve out of the 2019 season is really just um, taking on the coaching that I get from the coaching staff um, and just like just really not paying attention but really just being being, being um, I guess being aware of um, some of the things that I do best and some of the things that I don't do best um, and yeah just really getting the best out of myself and working continue working on my kicking because you know as backliners you get the ball and you just boot it down the line but for me I want to rise above you know like you see it like a Jess Duffin um, mm. I love watching Jess Duffin because she's one of those halfbacks that's able to get the ball and do something really efficient with it so um, and, and just quickly ironically um, up until a couple of years ago Jess admitted she hated playing in defense yeah. she always wanted to play as a forward kicking goals oh wow um, I, I'm the opposite I love playing in defense and um, it's good to have her as a, as a, as a role model in defense because when, when I watch her I want to be able to look at my game and, and 
see how she plays. And then you have the courageous girls like um, Chelsea Randall, who is takes on the takes takes the ball on, she, she marks the ball, and she runs with the ball, and then she uses the, uses the ball well. So I want to be able to improve on those areas this year, um, and then obviously my contested uh, marking and stuff like like that. Like that. Okay, thank you very much for joining us here at Women's Australian Rules Football on RSN Carnival. We wish you and the Tigers all the very best throughout the 2019 VFLW season. Thank you so much. Thank you for having me. Time to head overseas and review the weekend's play at the AFL Europe Champions League tournament that was held in Amsterdam. And joining us on the line from AFL England, it's William Schillaber. William, how are you? I'm very well, Peter. Thanks for having me. Great to have you on the line. And some great footy played over the weekend in Amsterdam. It's the Niner-side tournament. It's not country versus country like the Euro Cup. Uh, to explain, this is the Champions League, which essentially is the best of the best local women's teams. Yes, they come from all over Europe. And uh, it, it's great to see the tournament growing, not just in the men's league, but the women's league as well. I, I think there are a couple of teams um, who are competing or at least uh, entering women's teams for the, the very first time. We'll talk about some of them through this um, and particularly just to have a look at some of the minor rounds before we focus on, of course, the uh, big final. Um, some of the teams uh, I note include the Hamburg Dockers who made it through uh, to the third versus fourth playoff. Uh, Hamburg essentially starting last year thanks to uh, Lisa Wilson's uh, work out there at AFL Germany. Yeah, the, the Dockers had, uh, I would say... Not the toughest, well, the, the toughest group obviously involves the defending champions, which we'll come on to, but coming up against the Wandsworth Demons, who have been absolutely dominant in, in women's football in England in, in the club game, um, they managed to win two of their three games, um, only losing by uh, 13 points against the Demons to sort of qualify for the semi finals. So I know Lisa's done a, a great job and, and they had a lot of support, especially from. Uh, uh, some Bristol Dockers as well, you know, with the, the, the Dockers link there. And talking about local, we've got the Amsterdam Devils uh, making their debut. They did finish in last spot, but it's great to see a team coming out of Amsterdam because they've actually been very strong on the men's side. Oh, it, it, absolutely. The, uh, the the Amsterdam side, they, they knocked off the uh, the ones with themes in the men's competition who were, who were arguably favourites. Uh, and to, to see that they now have a women's side, you, you only imagine that um, as this competition goes forward in the years and, and if Amsterdam continues to host, which uh, I think it's a marvellous city, they obviously do a great job to have continued to host it. You can only see that the, uh, the Amsterdam Devils women's team uh, improving, um, hopefully, to the, the heady heights of the men. Uh, the team that beat them uh, for seventh place was the seventh versus eighth playoff um, was the Zagreb Panthers uh, out of Croatia. They won that 35-8. to eight. Uh, We know that Croatian women's football has been around for a number of years. They've been sending the Croatian national team to the Euro Cup. They've been flirting with the idea of their own side to an international cup, which hasn't come through yet. They've mainly taken part in the Crusaders team. But um, again, good to see them fielding another side uh, from Croatia. Uh, but I guess they're probably looking for more competition, more game time to at least try and climb up that Champions League table? Certainly with the, the Euro Cup being the spectacle that it is, they, it definitely offers them uh, a chance to really compete on, on a national level. Um, and with the, the um, nationality ratios and quotas for, for the club game as opposed to the national game, this definitely gives them a, a chance to sort of reward some club stalwarts and, and any expats who are helping to grow the game in Croatia and yeah, the Croatian women's team are obviously very, very good and, and obviously continue to perform well uh, at the Niner side Euros. 
A couple of sides that we've spoken with in the past actually went in the fifth versus sixth playoff. Port Melmo Lynx versus the Paris Cockrells. Uh, the Lynx getting over the line by just one point. So a thriller there, William. And maybe a slight in form for the Paris Cockrells, missing possibly their best player in Colin Decay, of course, who's uh, been in Melbourne for the last year or so trying to make it in the VFLW. Obviously, it's a huge feather in their cap having Colleen um, doing so well on, on the football stage in Australia. And I just want to touch on the, the, the Women's Cup that was there. I think it was, was the, um, I can't remember the name of it, but certainly uh, a, a great hotbed for women's football. Um, and yeah, really tight match with one, uh, one point between the two sides. The Port Melmo links continue to improve. Um, they've just been one of those sides um, around Sweden. They've been uh, looking for more competition, um, and hopefully that will be so, as we mentioned earlier with the Hamburg Dockers and teams in Germany and our Amsterdam um, uh, nearby that will be able to travel and play them. Uh, the third placing in the end was a bit of a one-sided affair. Um, Nottingham Scorpions defeating Hamburg 52-1. Uh, to one. So a big win there for Nottingham. And uh, I'm quite surprised that Nottingham just fell short of the final because um, the Nottingham Scorpions side, um, although it doesn't play in its own regular competition, had always been strong against London teams. And, of course, uh, their players normally supply the bulk of the North London Lions team. The uh, the Nottingham Scorpions Wandsworth Demons game I caught live on the live stream, which I have to say was, was very well run uh, throughout the game, uh, throughout the day, um, and it, the uh, the Scorpions were, were perhaps guilty of some wayward kicking, um, but they really do show their class in some of the other games. You know, they, they beat Port Malmo by 21 points. They beat Amsterdam by 35. Um, uh, but they just fell short against Wandsworth. Wandsworth are a very, very good team um, in the London leagues and, and now on this on this stage. And, and they were unlucky in the, in the grand final, which we'll come on to. Yes, the grand final between the champions of the AFL London Women's Competition and the champions of the AFL Island Women's Competition. And it's just frightening, isn't it, the talent that's being unearthed in Ireland, not only through the crossgriders and, of course, playing in the AFLW, but it's inspiring those Gaelic uh, women's players to come across and join the uh, Aussie rules uh, side of the game. And uh, West Clare just, just dominant throughout the tournament and Wandsworth just couldn't get near them. Well, with, with one eye on the, uh, the Euro Cup and obviously on the uh, European Championships in London, at, with, my, with my foot in the England Vixens and uh, Great Britain Swans camps, I am looking ever so uh, closely at the Irish performances on the international stage, be it club uh, or be it at any, uh, any friendlies that the Banshees might have. Uh, it is frightening, like you say, and, and I think that um, with even with players moving to Australia and, and growing in the professional game, which I think is really, really important, um, they still have a wealth of talent back home to, uh, to move forward into the uh, national setups. Um, and they'll definitely be a force uh, at all levels of football uh, for years to come. So the West Clare Waves are taking out the uh, championship, and I believe that's back-to-back -back titles for them. So congratulations to the Irish team. And as you said, one eye on the Euro Cup. We're no doubt expecting a bulk of that side will be making up the Irish Banshees uh, when they play in around June, I believe, for the uh, Euro Cup. And then, of course, when they back up for 18 aside uh, come October in London for the European Championship. Yes, I mean everything. Uh, everything with AFL, AFL England at the moment is looking forward to to both of those tournaments, mostly um, the European Championships. But we've got a long uh, long season ahead. All the fixtures just came out, and we've got 
pre-season cup next weekend. So um, the women's game is really flourishing. The the the, um, the league structure in AFL London is is unchanged. So the teams who were playing each other last year will will know the setup. They'll know the the uh, uh, competitors they'll be coming up against. And I know that the um, England women's and Great Britain women's coaches are are on the lookout. Um, we've got a, a university a university match uh, from the English university, the National University League against an Irish university. That's on the 20th of April. Uh, and I know both national coaches will be looking at that to see if there's any young talent coming through that they can add to a Euro Cup or an, an EC squad. And just very quickly on that, because that was played uh, during the Australian summer and during the England winter, the National Universities League. How much has that been of a breeding ground uh, for future talent to play in the AFL London Women's League? Oh, definitely. I, w- I would say um, I-, I would say it's been it's given a lease of life to some of the university clubs, and it's made certain clubs and certain coaches sort of stand up and recognise that there actually is. A, uh, not a manufacturing line, but there is a route from people who have discovered the game at university uh, into the women's league. Um, we have sev- there are several bulldogs I know who started it at university, and it, it only you know only stands that the same applies for the women's league. So I know that in a in a friendly, the Great Britain Swans had several players uh, from the league, from from uh, the universities of South Wales side, from um, the Birmingham side, and you you, you only think that they will gain more experience playing in, in the full 18-a-side uh, senior competition. And then after the EC and back into the University League, they'll have another season and it will just continue to go from strength to strength. But the feedback we've had from all the clubs is that it really is important to get young players who are enthusiastic about the game having competitive match experience before this season. There was just, you know, odd friendlies against senior sides Um sporadic uh, competitions like the Haggis Cup that they would go to. So to really have a concerted season um, really, really goes to show that they, they, they can play on a competitive basis and they'll continue to do so in the London Leagues. And finally, just before we let you go, William, you mentioned the AFL London Preseason Cup is coming up and the women's side of things, it's uh, one of the only occasions where a national side takes on club sides, the seven London women's club sides versus the GB Swans in that format. Who's your early tip to take out the Preseason Cup? The Demons will be full of confidence after uh, a really, really positive performance at, um, at the Champions League. The Swans, likewise, having, having knocked off an AFL London All-Stars team a few weeks ago, they will naturally be hoping to put one over the entire league as opposed to just their All-Star cohort. I mean, it's just going to be a great day of football. You're always, uh, you have the Champions League, you have the Preseason Cup, and I know that everyone will be, just be um, dying for first bounce come first, first round of the Preseason Cup and first round of the season proper. Well, William, thanks very much for joining us here at Women's Australian Rules Football on RSN Carnival. And we look forward to catching up with you uh, throughout May, June, July and August when we take a look at the AFL London Women's League. Thank you, Peter. The AFL Sydney Women's Premier Division kicked off for season 2019 on the weekend. And to take a look back at it, we've got on the line from Sydney, the one and only Lauren Hodson. Lauren, how are you? Yeah, really well, thanks, Peter, and uh, great to be back on board for uh, season 2019. And great to have some teams back, but we have a change of roster here in the AFL Sydney Women's Premier Division. A a few new clubs coming in. We'll introduce them as we go along game by game. We had round one over the weekend, and we started with 
uh, I guess you'd call a new team into the competition, the Inner West Magpies. 17-14-116, walloping the Newtown Breakaways one straight six. Yeah, so it was a massive, uh, obviously a massive start to the season um, for the the Magpies, uh, formerly the the Wolves. Uh, I mean, they kicked 5-5-35 in the first quarter, and um, and really they just rolled on from there. And it wasn't until the last quarter when the Breakaways actually got their solitary um, goal. So it was, it was pretty uh, pretty dark times for the the Breakaways right throughout the game. Um, the the Magpies. Uh, yeah, plethora of goal scorers. Uh, Lawson and Ekman both kicked four. Uh, Marshall and Convery three, and Emery Rantel and Franklin all one. And uh, pretty much most of those players are in the best for the Magpies. And uh, the breakaway solo goal kicker was uh, Warren. So not a good start for the breakaways, but uh, under the new name of the Magpies, uh, fantastic work for the team from the inner west. And I should note with Newtown Breakaways that they have lost possibly their best player for uh, this year, that being Frankie Hocking, who finished second in the league BNF uh, last year. She's actually moved down to Melbourne to have a go at AFLW. She's currently signed, I believe, to St Kilda for their VFLW squad and has been changed instead of playing a half forward. I've been reliably told she's now playing in defence. Yeah, well, it's certainly a big loss for them. And uh, I've also got a feeling that um, yeah, the, some of the the normal names for the breakaways weren't uh, weren't on their team sheet. So whether they're uh, you know were injured or, or just having the first week off, I'm not sure. But um, as I said, nothing to take away from the Magpies. They um, sort of wound back the clock to you know a few years ago when they were um, up there uh, contesting finals uh, every year in the old swaffle competition. Two old rivals went head-to-head, the UNSW Eastern Suburbs Bulldogs and the Sydney Uni Bombers, and it was the Bombers winning in the end by just a solitary goal, 4-6-30 to 3-6-24. Yeah, look, it's the type of contest we've um, grown accustomed to between these two sides probably over the last five or six years. Uh, fairly low scoring and, and tight right throughout. Um, you know, there was never really more than a goal in it. Uh, one point at quarter time. Five points at half time. It was all all locked up at uh, at three quarter, and uh, yeah, the the bombers were the ones that uh, yeah in the end uh, came out with the win. But um, I mean, look, goal kickers for for the Bulldogs were uh, Privatelli and Colrush. Um, both of those players were also named in their best, as was uh, Tate Mackerel. Uh, uh, GWS listed player and for Sydney their goal kickers were Amy Fu with two uh, Shillingsworth and Doyle with one and uh, Fu was also named in their best so uh, a very tight contest uh, as I said to start the season and um, unlike I guess last year um, Uni have uh, started off the year with a bang and uh, I'm I'm sure they'll be hoping to uh, continue with that. One of the strong sides of the competition, Macquarie University, 12-15-87, comfortable winners over Southern Power, one two eight. Yeah, look, it was a fantastic start to the season for Mac Uni, and uh, as I sort of said off air, Peter, I think Mac Uni are actually my tip to uh, go all the way and take out the uh, premiership this year. Um, Power didn't get on the board till the third quarter, and yeah, Mac Uni, I mean, 4-6 in the first quarter, so uh, Power probably lucky that... Uh, you know, if it wasn't for some uh, better kicking, that they weren't down by a little bit more. Um, but you know, even spread of goals for the for MacUni, which is really good to start the season with. That you're not relying just on on one or two players. 
and uh, GWS captain Haruja played uh, played for the Warriors in one and uh, was amongst their best players. So fantastic start uh, for for the Warriors there. And as I said, I think they'll be a team to beat this year. And in the final game, the newcomers, the East Coast Eagles, 15-16-106, defeated the UTS Bats, formerly known as the UTS Shamrocks, 1-1-7. Yeah, look, the uh, the Eagles couldn't have asked for a better start to their, uh, I guess, Premier Division um, Premier Division career. Um, you know, it wasn't too bad in the first quarter, 29 to 7, but then the Bats didn't score after that. And uh, the Eagles were just too good, uh, you know, running away with it. I mean, they were up by 43 points at halftime. And they said, then just really sort of continued on with it. And they finished off strong as well, kicking uh, five goals for in the last quarter, the Eagles. So, um, you know, they they didn't take their foot off the pedal and, and uh, really rammed it home. Uh, McGartlin was strung up forward for the Eagles, as was Wilson. Both of those uh, players kicking three. And uh, Bian was the uh, bat's solitary goal kicker. So uh, some disappointing results for a couple of sides there. Uh, but it said a, a couple of big wins um, to start the year for, uh, as I said, the uh, Eagles, Warriors and uh, the Magpies. So um like to see what happens in round two to see we've got some lopsided results or maybe things are even out of it. Well, as we have a look ahead to uh, round two, we begin on Saturday, uh, 10, 10 a.m. at Pickett Oval, the Inner West Magpies versus the UNSW Eastern Suburbs Bulldogs. Yeah, look, I think this is going to be a really interesting one. Um, obviously, the, the Bulldogs have, have been the form side of the last few years. Uh, West had a, a, an improving year last year and they've uh, started the season with a bang with that, that massive win in round one. Um I think the Bulldogs will get the win, though. I think it'll be a close one. Um, but, yeah, tipping the Bulldogs by uh, three goals. 10.40am on Saturday at Trumpet Park, uh, the UTS Bats versus the Southern Power. Yeah, well, last year they were uh, the Bats, or as I know as the Shamrocks fan, were Power's bogey team. They are probably a team that Power felt uh, they should have beaten on form and, and on paper, but uh, they suffered a couple of big losses. Um, I think it'll be a, a tight and close encounter, uh, but I'm going to tip the bats by a couple of goals in this one, uh, Peter. At Mahoney Park, 12.50pm on Saturday, Newtown Breakaways versus the Sydney Uni Bombers. Yeah, look, unfortunately for the Breakaways, I think um, they're, they're going to um, have two losses in a row to start their season. Um, Sydney Uni, as we said, uh, had a, a good close win over the Bulldogs and they definitely finished uh, last year off strong. So uh, I think they'll, they'll have a good win against the Breakaways. And Saturday, 1.30pm at Cambridge Oval, the East Coast Eagles versus Mac Uni. Yeah, look, this will be a really interesting one because obviously both sides started uh, the season massive wins. Um, look, I'm going to tip Mac Uni. I think it'll be sort of fairly close for the first half, uh, but then I think they'll they'll break away with it and, and that experience um, and skill will, will really come through. But, uh, yeah, I think the Eagles will, um, will match them in the first half and show that... Uh, it's no luck that they're in Premier Division for 2019. Well, Lauren, thanks very much for joining us here at Women's Australian Rules Football on RSN Carnival. We look forward to catching up with you next week when we review Round 2 of the AFL Sydney Women's Premier Division. 
Looking forward to it, Peter, and thanks for uh, having me on the program. And before we go to a break, let's have a look at the results from the QAFLW competition. Round one played over the weekend. Normally, Aaron Russell would be our reporter. He has stepped down for this year as he is now coaching Yeronga South Brisbane, and he had a victory in game one of round one, 7-7-49, Yeronga South Brisbane, defeating Bond University 6-7-43. Calling out a tweed, 6-12-48, accounted for Marucci Dor 2-2-14, and a big surprise, the debuting Apsley Hornets 10-5-65 accounted for Cooper Roo, just the five behinds. What a win on debut. And the reigning premiers, Wilston Grange Gorillas 9-12-66, defeating the UQ Red Lions 5-5-35. Looking ahead to round two being played this Saturday, 12.30pm at South Pine Sports Complex, Brendale. The Apsley Hornets play host to Yeronga South Brisbane. 4.45pm at Coolangatta Tweed, Exum Oval, Coolangatta Tweed play host to the UQ Red Lions at Cooparoo's Giffen Park, 4.45pm, Cooparoo playing host to Bond University and at Hickey Park at 4.45pm, Wilston Grange play host to Maroochydore. Let's find out what happened in round seven of the Sample Women's Competition over the weekend and joining us on the line from the Two Crows podcast, it's Alison Schiller. Ali, how are you? Uh, Still enjoying a premiership win there, Peter. Still enjoying a premiership win. No premiership hangover for you yet? <laughs> no, not yet. The day after the grand final, maybe, but um, I'm feeling fine at the moment. Those plucky Crow supporters. Let's have a look at what's been happening in the Sanford women's competition. Round seven has just gone past. And first of all, on Friday night, it was Glenelg versus the reigning premiers, the South Adelaide Panthers. And the Panthers comfortable winners in the end, 6 7 to 2 3 15. Yeah, 28-point winners there in total. And I'll tell you what, though, the Panthers did the scoreboard damage in the first half. And they also managed to keep the old Tigers scoreless in the final quarter. Uh, Stats-wise, though, it looked reasonably even with 119 kicks apiece, with the Tigers actually winning the centre clearances. But the Panthers smashed them with their handball game 129-64. to 64. Young Madison Bennett was a rocket, and if she wasn't kicking them off the ground, she'd snap one from a contest down there to South. Hannah Man, Hannah Man- Manyard, sorry, uh, continued her ripping form, uh, along with Kavoris and Charlton getting as many tackles as humanly possible. Hartley and Bellinger led the way for Glenelg. There's the disposals of South, Manyard with 23, Kavoris and Charlton on 20, Campbell and Tahu on 14. For Glenelg, Hartley 18, Bellinger 16, Francis 14, Gould 13. The goals for South will Bennett with a mighty three, and singles each to Goding, Housen and Manyard. For Glenelg, Bellinger kicked their two goals. The South continued their firm grip in second spot on the ladder, while the poor old Tigers slipped to fifth, and things could not get any worse as they suit up again at home next week to play South yet again. And I'll call that one hashtag funny fixture. On Saturday morning, Sturt 8-14-62 defeated Woodville West Torrens 4-4-28. Yeah, can you actually believe it? The Eagles dominated this game till half time and were actually only two points behind at three quarter time. Until eventually Sturt ran away winners by thirty four points. But in truth, inaccuracy from the double blues, they were three ten at three quarter time, gave a false sense of where this game was really at. A five goal four blitz in the final quarter, all whilst keeping the Eagles scoreless, handed the double blues a wonderful thirty four point victory and their second win of the season. Georgia Bevan from Sturt was in everything, while Caitlin Swanson channeled her in her Eddie Betts to turn and snap one from the pocket. 
top players for the Eagles were Steph Walker and Keanu Lee, who has now kicked a club best seven goals in seven games. Disposals for Sturt, Bevan 19, Lovell 17, Trenorton 14, Griffith Hall and Swanson on 13. For the Eagles, Lee and Walker on 13 and Pengelly on 12. The goals for Sturt, Ballard with two, Swan, Baker, Lovell, Prenzler, Rigter and Swanson all with singles. For the Eagles, a double there for Lee and one each to Farrier and Forby. Sturt have clawed their way up one spot on the ladder to six, while the poor old Eagles are searching for their elusive first win of the season. At Prospect Oval, it was the Roosters 8-5-53, defeating the Bloods 5-3-33. Yeah, so last week uh, my head said Westies, but my heart said Roosters, and hearts it was. The Roosters were up early, kicking four straight in the first, and were never headed from there. With bags of three to Castle and Sampson, helping the Roosters to a 20-point win. The biggest difference in stats were handballs, which were nearly double the difference to the winners, and also hit-outs. The biggest one, though, was a massive 36-16 to 16 inside 50 the Roosters' way. This was a hard-fought win, and the notable goals from the game was Elsewood from Westies early um, in the quarters, booting a beautiful kick from just inside 50, and she sent it through the big sticks. Castle from the Roosters, Banana won through the boundary in the second, and Mary Smith snapped a kick sensationally in the third for Westies. For the disposals there, North with Greet on 19, Daniel 17, Ton and 16, Davies 14, Castle and Reynolds on 13, for West, Ballard and Newman on 17, Davis on 11. The goals for North, Castle and Sampson with three apiece, Reynolds and Tynan with one. West, Rich, oh, sorry, Rich, Ballard, Elsgood, Mason and Smith each with singles. That's three on the trot now for Matt Slade's Chargers, who also jump into third on the ladder, claiming the blood spot, pushing the Westies back to four. And in the final game of round seven, uh, the Central District Bulldogs, 2-1-13, were no match for Norwood, 7-9-51. Yeah, Norwood played the percentage game and the Bulldogs were more accurate in front of the goals. But then when it's two goals to seven, it doesn't really matter. The Bulldogs scored in the first and last quarters, while well, the red legs started off slowly and inaccurately again, but then pulled away each quarter onwards. Najwa Allen continues to push for the title as the most dynamic player in the league, picking up another lady's lazy 30 possessions and two goals in a standout performance for the flag fancies. Leah Cutting also stood out in ruck with nine disposals, nine tackles and 24 hitouts, and even chucking in a goal there in a well-rounded performance. For the doggies, Tyre Hoon impressed, throwing herself at absolutely everything possible. For the disposals for Norwood, Allen and 30, Dunn and Hollick on 22, Maya 18 and Zander 16, Centrals Hoon on 15, Doughty and Jamie Lee Sonneman on 13, Solly and Demi Sonneman on 12. The goals for Norwood, we had Allen, Spawn and Zander with two and Leah cutting with a single. The Bulldogs there, Abby Shear and Wilson kicking one goal apiece. Still undefeated and still sitting on top of the ladder. Norwood are taking all before them. The Central's now slipped to seventh with that loss due to Sturt having the superior percentage. Let's have a look ahead to round eight of the competition. And we kick off Saturday morning at 11am local time. Peter Motley Oval. Uh, the Sturt Double Blues play host to the Norwood Redlegs. Yeah, can the rampaging Redlegs be stopped? That is the question. Can the Double Blues form at home carry over from last week? History would probably say not. 
The red legs inaccuracy, I think, in front of the big six could be their only downfall, and it's the red legs for me. In the game at 3.45pm at ACH Group Stadium, the Glenelg Tigers play host to the South Adelaide Panthers. Yeah, well, what can I say here? Will it be same, same, but different? Probably not. I think that this will go second verse, same as the first. That's my prediction. As a strange fixture means the Tigers play the Panthers yet again at ACH Group Stadium two weeks in a row. I think this one's going to hurt the Tigers. Panthers for me. At an ex-convenience oval, Saturday, 3.45pm, the Central District Bulldogs play host to the West Adelaide Bloods. Yeah, the Bulldogs want to desperately reclaim their third spot on the ladder and the Bulldogs really do not want to stay in seventh. But I think the Westies will want it more and send the dogs back into their kennel. Westies for me. That's the Victorian in me. I want to see if I get the name right. I've got it as Morgan Thyme Kia <laughs> Oval. How does it sound like? <laughs> it's Morn Kia Oval. Morn Kia Oval. There you go. Um, <laughs> 3.45 p.m. Uh, local time on Saturday. Woodville West Torrance Eagles uh, play host to North Adelaide Roosters. Yeah, so the Roosters have the wind in their backs at the moment and are sailing towards the final berth. And I do not think the Eagles will take off from the ground on this one. Roosters for me, Peter. Well, Ali, thanks again for joining us here at Women's Australian Rules Football on RSN Carnival. And we look forward to catching up with you next week when we review round eight of the Sample Women's Competition. Fantastic. Um, best of luck to everybody in their games. Now we're going to take a moment to step back and have a look at how each team went in Conference B of the 2019 AFLW season. And having a look from bottom to top and rating how each team went, we've got on the line the Sydney women's football legend herself in Coach Kiwi, Lisa Kiwi Roper. Lisa, how are you? I am very good, very good. I'm, I'm sad the season is over, but um, great we get to keep talking about it. Fantastic. Well, yeah, it only lasted nine weeks if we include finals and uh, there wasn't much finals action, to be honest, over in Conference B, uh, despite Carlton making the grand final. Let's get your thoughts by working from the bottom through to the top of Conference B, what you like, what you didn't like uh, from each respective team. We begin with the Collingwood Football Club. They won a game in the last round against the Brisbane Lions for their only win of the year. They finished Wooden Spooners. Uh, they wouldn't renew um, the contract for Wayne Siegman, so he will not be returning in 2020. We knew before the start of the season it was going to be a tough year for Collingwood because they'd lost over two years, 14 players, plus Chloe Malloy to injury as well. How, how do you rate how, besides the obvious fact of the Wooden Spoon, how Collingwood went? Yeah, I think, um, you know, they were definitely behind the eight ball when they started. And, you know, I think you've got to look at when you're losing that many players, maybe not rely so much on the young ones coming in and looking to develop them because up until this year, it's only been one-year contract. So they probably should have reached out to a couple more experienced players to help them out around the ground. Um, and especially, you know, losing Chloe is um, was quite a big loss. She was playing really well for them in the VFL. Um, but, yeah, I'm, I'm expecting Collingwood are going to look very, very different next year without Wayne in control. Um, hopefully, uh, I think they should elevate Penny Calareed. I thought she had the VFL team running a really good structure and system and um, they actually won the minor premiership. So, um, you know, there was some benefit there in the way that she developed that group and a lot of them then stepped up to the AFLW level. So, you know, perhaps um, a couple more experienced players and perhaps a couple of bigger bodies. I think they need 
Um, they probably need to look at their forward line a little bit. I don't know if they've got anyone up there that's kicking a heap of goals. But having said that, they've played some tough games where they haven't had a lot of opportunity as well. Uh, I don't know if Sarah Rose coming back, but hopefully she will. She will be one to push forward. Yes, it'll be interesting to see if uh, Sarah Rowe does come back, the uh, Irish woman, to have uh, another crack because um, she was one of their uh, few shining lights. Obviously, the big one that uh, looks like she's going to be favourite. At the time we're recording this is Ash Brazel, which I'm predicting to take out the uh, Collingwood Club best and fairest. Yeah, I think she'll um, take that out pretty pretty easily and pretty comfortably, I would suggest. Um, but yeah, Sarah Rowe's already back in Ireland and she's already kicking in a heap of goals for Mayo. So hopefully that will just freshen her up um, to come back next season. But yeah, I think probably they underutilised her a bit. If she, I think um, playing her off the half-back line didn't get the best out of her. I thought she was quite exciting when she went forward. Um, so that could give them an option. And then once they have Chloe back next year, will make a big difference through the midfield too but um, yeah keeping Ash and if they can get I don't know if there's any more netballers down at the Collingwood Club they can convert like they did first would be pretty exciting It will be tough going for them leading into 2020 in fact as they hit the trade period they do not have a coach and they're on the lookout for that even though the name Nicole Graves has been linked to them because she has left Carlton Uh, so I guess we watch this space to see what happens Um, so without a coach that coach will come in and will have to not only sort their own game plan but try and build their own list and that's going to be the toughest thing I think Kiwi is that Collingwood need to rebuild a list And, and part of that's not just youth coming through. You, as you mentioned earlier, you do need experienced players, but because so many of them left, there's not too many really good quality experienced players left at Collingwood to be offered as trade bait, because if you want something decent, you have to offer up something decent. Yeah, and you know, and I think, you know, behind, again, behind the eight ball, even in the trade debate, so um, big challenges. Um, there's also a coach, um, I think she's currently living in Canberra, they want to give her a call. I think she's available. Um, somebody by the name of Beck, something. Oh, but, um, God. Nice <laughs> <laughs> well, let's move up to the Brisbane, and uh, they finished uh, at uh, fourth spot on the table, just behind the Giants, actually, by 0.1 on percentage. It's funny because if they had beaten Collingwood, they would have been uh, second and playing Adelaide in the final. So funny how close uh, things were in Conference B. Um, the Brisbane Lions, they lost a handful of players, most notably in the North Melbourne and one to Collingwood being Hildebrand. We thought, OK, they're taking a hit of players, maybe not as bad as others, and we thought they would be there again this year. They just turned to be inconsistent. Um, and it's a bit like, funnily enough, it's almost like, how Sabrina Tr- Frederick Traub is playing is how the Lions are playing. Sabrina had a standout year last year and they were flying along. Um, Sabrina probably wasn't as dominant this year as she's been in previous years, and thus the Lions this year, hot and cold. When they look good, they look good, and when they were bad, they were on the nose. Yeah, I think um, perhaps the other teams have taken a little bit of notice of how to play on Sabrina. Um, when when she played against the Giants, they tend to mark her from behind a lot and she dominated their forward line that day that is uh, all giant fans um but then in other games they tend to mark in front of her and it really stopped her taking those really important marks in the forward 50 for the Lions. so um so yeah i think you're right she was a bit hot and cold and um they didn't have too many adjustments to their list 
um, you know, Gibson was probably a bit of a loss for them in the back line. But um, even under Craig, you know, he's developed those skills for a few years now. You would have thought they would have done a little bit better. So you kind of start to wonder what else is going on inside the inside the um, dugout there kind of thing. It's um, And it'll be interesting to see now how many depart with Gold Coast being an option up there. So um, you do that often a telling point if things aren't so good off the field is when you get a chunk of players that then leave to another option. So it'll be interesting to see how they stay together, that's for sure. But yeah, after three seasons, they've now lost both their marquee players too. So, and, and talented tools. So that'll be hard to replace as well. The Lions are allowed to lose up to eight players to be poached by expansion teams, according to the AFLW rules. And when I say expansion teams, that doesn't mean exclusively by the Gold Coast. For example, if new clubs like Richmond or St Kilda claim players, and we believe that Richmond will probably claim Sabrina frederick Chorb, that means that's now down to seven that the Gold Coast could poach. So uh, watch that space about how many will take the leap across, because once it passes a certain number... Then it goes into trade period, where um, they have to get something for uh, losing a player, uh, player for player swap. So we we watch how many of the lines can go to the Gold Coast, but at the moment, as a straight loss without compensation, bar picks, it's at seven players. Uh, we look at the team that finished third, the GWS Giants finished one game away from second spot. And when you look at the Giants season, it's a bit peculiar because we thought they might have challenged for the top four this year. They fell short. And the football that they played was they looked like a good team that just couldn't win. Yeah, you know, if you looked at their list, they had a very, very good list. And um, not being biased, but I would have thought they'd be in the grand final. Um, I think a lot of people looked at that list and thought, you know, there's talent all over that part. Um, It's just, you know, interesting how they didn't seem to fire at all. And I don't know if it's just maybe their game plan didn't match the ability of the players or something else. Um, you know, Alan's a very, very wise football kid around around the around the, the sport. I think he's probably one of the most um, knowledgeable and experienced coaches. But I wonder if he's just playing an older style of football that worked really well for him when he was at the likes of Geelong or um, Fitzroy that may not work or may not transition over when you're coaching the females. Because um, he had a lot of talent, and they, you know, they, the last game they played really, really differently against Geelong, and probably showed us, you know, what they were capable of all season. So I don't know if he just changed the structure for that game or, um, or what what happened, but it was very, very different. So that'll be another interesting team. You know, a lot of the players didn't look particularly happy or look particularly confident in their game. So, you know, that'll be another telling tale if if uh, a heap of them start to move and transition off to other teams and you start to wonder what you know what's going on um, you know when they're away from the field so um, I hope they stay together I really like um, the lineup that we have at Giants obviously just want them to fire a little bit better so um, so yeah it's um, it'll be interesting but um, the Irish girls did really really well um, and you know they're going to already lose Gummo who's probably been probably had a bit of a quieter season however you know, she still set up a heap of goals for them. I think she was third overall, um, all players for score assists. So, um, you know, that's a bit of a loss for them, having somebody who's going to set up so many score options too. So it'll be interesting. 
It'll be interesting to see what GWS can do to try and lure up some Victorian or South Australian players to uh, help join their squad and, and give them a bit of a boost uh, because you said uh, losing Gummo is a bit of a blow. I guess on a positive side of things, Beck Beeson, by having a winter down in Victoria and being under Paddy Hill at Hawthorne and winning in a premiership there did her a world of good and clearly uh, the best player for the Giants throughout the 2019 AFLW season. And I guess a good thing actually looking forward for the Giants is they will play five matches against VFLW sides over the winter. So hopefully that exposure against the Victorian sides will try and lift up that next level of players because essentially how things look for the Giants, they really are looking to their own backyard to fill their squad. Yeah, well, it's something they really need to do. And I think we've said for a few years in Sydney that um, the development programs haven't really been strong enough or of a good quality for this level. So um, having this opportunity now to play five games in the VFL should um, assist a lot that are just on the fringe too. Um, it was BSO that came down last year, but there was also uh, Phoebe Monaghan for Tigers and Maddie Collier who um, played at Essendon. And they both went back looking a bit fresh and a little bit more um, developed as well. So there's, I guess, the option of other Sydney players to then move to Melbourne for winter and get not only exposure, but just get regular tough competition um, that they don't get in the Sydney comp. Um, you know, and, and perhaps, you know, the rut, Ingrid or the backup Ruck Ingrid may need a bit more of a challenge because I think where Erin did really well in the first season winning the hitouts, she's not winning so many hitouts anymore and her hitouts to advantage is a lot lower percentage than others across the league. So I think that's where you start to win games is through your midfield. So if you've got a you know really key Ruck who can win you that ball, becomes quite valuable to you um, put you on the front foot coming out of the contest. So um, you know, that might be something that maybe Ingrid looks at developing or, um, you know, going somewhere where she can um, work on her craft and um, maybe get more games for Giants as well. Let's see in the finish second, the Geelong Cats. They will be without Erin Hoare. Uh, come the 2020 season. Uh, she is going to be over in Cambridge uh, in the UK before going across to Boston, all part of her uh, work, that, her research work that she is undertaking. So a big blow there, but they do have Maddie McMahon who can step up in the ruck in Erin's replacement. So they'll now be looking for a number two. Um, and I guess in, in one way, they're technically getting a player back. She only played the one game, but she was very good in that one game. And that's Nina Morrison Noodles, who of course did her ACL um, during a, a Thursday uh, training session uh, should be fit and ready to go hopefully by round one next year so for the Cats it's almost like they've got the same squad it'll be interesting to see uh, how they sprinkle that finishing the year with three wins a big semi-final loss to Adelaide it'll be interesting to see what that does to the morale of the club Yes, yeah, certainly. I think, um, you know, Nina probably did her knee early enough in the season to make it back in time for round one, um, which, you know, unfortunately for Chloe Shear and Erin Phillips, perhaps they're going to be pushing that timeline. Um, so, yeah, it'll be, in, it'll be good for Geelong to have her come back. Um, and, yeah, Erin Horn is, is a huge loss for them. It's going to be very hard to replace someone um, as versatile as she's been, you know, getting forward and kicking goals and, um, I'm pretty sure she was first on the hitouts as well. So 
um, yeah, that's going to be a tough spot to um, to replace. But I think, you know, overall they'll keep that team together. I don't think there'll be too many that would leave. And um, their coaching panel is also fairly involved with the VFL team. So that effectively means you've got now about 12 months to develop this core group of players. So I would expect some big things from them next year. You know, it's just a, a now season wiser and, um, you know, they're just going to come back for AFL pumped and ready to um, to do better than what they did this year. And if they manage to hold their squad together, it'll be more competitive against the Victorian teams with with a number of them expected to lose players. Not a, a large amount, but at least some significant players to the expansion teams. So Geelong staying together as a unit serves them well. Possibly like their VFLW fortunes, where they were middle of the road first year and then played off in a grand final in their second year. The team that finished top of Conference B and made it through to the grand final, uh, only to fall victim to the Adelaide Crows, is the Carlton Football Club. They finished with four home and away wins and, of course, that semi-final win over depleted from Antle. Um, one loss already. It's not a player. It's Nicole Graves, who uh, many credit for her work behind the scenes to change the culture and to get the Blues back on track. She's certainly done her job, put them into a more competitive position. It's just left to see who behind the scenes can carry on her good work. And it's going to be interesting to see how many players Carlton can hang on to from the potentially raiding clubs of Richmond and St Kilda. Yeah, you're not wrong. They do, um, you know, they probably will be a target for those two new clubs. Uh, Nicole, I think, did a superb job and no doubt changed a lot of of things, you know, the culture and um, everything in behind um, the, the team and, you know, Without doubt, that certainly contributes to their on-field performance. Um, I would, I would imagine that making the grand final, they probably want to stick together. I, I don't think there'd be too many players that would actually want to leave Carlton where they're at at the moment, because um, it seems like they get on with the coach. It all seems, you know, pretty good relationship that way. So, um, you know, if you if you get that close to, you know, winning the big flag and you get on with the coach, you get on with your players, you tend to want to stick together and fight a little bit harder and stronger the next year. Um, you know, And I'm sure the processes Nicole's put in place will be strong enough to carry through as well. And boy, whoever grabbed her, <laughs> you know, you're going to have another look at that team next year and see what else they can do on the field. Um, if she's in there cleaning things up for you. But, um, but you know, I think Downey is, is, was really good this year. She... Um, you know, it was very, very handy for them. The twins were excellent. Um, probably Darcy had a bit of a quiet season for her. And I think um, Taylor probably came into the season a bit later. She did, probably didn't do too much too early on. Um, so, you know, I think there's some really good signs there that they proved against Frio how well they can play and what good quality they can play. And, um, you know, I think they're just another team that will play a little bit better and stronger next year. I think you're right when you're talking earlier about the squads sticking together. I think Nicole Graves and Daniel Hartford have essentially saved the Carlton Football Club on the women's side because if they had had another bad year, not necessarily even wooden spooners finishing second last, third last, I think that would have tempted a number of their better players to look for greener pastures. But because all of a sudden... Technically, yes, on an overall ladder, they finished middle of the road. But because they played in a grand final with upside, particularly with the likes of Madison Press-Parkus on their list, an absolute jet of a young player who's going to have many, many years of great football ahead of her, I think that's just 
maybe put in the back of the mind of some of the Carlton players, yeah, if we stick together and get a couple of more players, we could be a shake at this realistically in the next year or two. So that's probably safe, Carlton. If there's any player that might go, and this is absolute pure speculation, I'd maybe throw the name out there, Shay Audley, only for the fact is I know that she's a Mad Tigers supporter, so I wonder if that will pull on the heartstrings a little, saying here's an opportunity to wear the uh, yellow and black. So uh, watch this space, particularly, as we said, Richmond, of course, a big famous football club. Any Tiger supporters at other clubs that might go, you know what, just just the opportunity to wear that jumper. Well, you know, exactly, and I think... um Richmond should probably go and knock on the door of Lily Mitten as well because I'm pretty sure she grew up being a Tiger supporter as well. So um, another one. But, yeah, Carlton, you know, I think they've got now a couple of years to really make sure Maddie's, you know, part of the furniture there because, as she has mentioned, she is an Essendon fan. So once they get a team in there, I'm sure they'll be knocking on her door, on her door to come back over and um, play in the Bombers part of town. So, yeah, definitely, definitely uh, use those colours as, there's a bit of a carrot for sure. I'll make the prediction right now, because Maddie's only 18, 19 years old, we could be realistically looking at four, five, six years away from uh, the likes of Essendon, along with Hawthorne, Port Adelaide and the Swans, joining the AFLW. By that stage, Maddie will be in her mid-20s. And I reckon by the time that Madison Press Park has hit her mid-20s, if Essendon come along then, not only will they take her, she will be the inaugural captain. Uh, yeah, I think um, I think that's quite possible. And she'll be just starting to get into her um, physical peak as well, so that'll be prime time to grab her. And um, and not only her, there'll be her younger sister Georgia, who's um, another flying young talent. That um, I'm sure she's a bomber supporter as well. So um, I'm sure they'll be able to target the two of them when when time comes. Coach Kiwi, thank you very much for your time. We look forward to catching up with you next week when we take a look back at Conference A and rate how they went throughout the season. Well, that wraps up Women's Australia's football on RSN 927's digital radio channel Carnival for yet another week. A reminder that this program is available as a podcast by going to iTunes, Google Podcasts, SoundCloud, and now Spotify and searching for Women's Australia's football radio. You can find out more about us by going to WARF Radio. Dot com. Finding us on Twitter at twitter.com forward slash WARF radio or going to Facebook, facebook.com forward slash WARF radio. Until next Wednesday at 6 p.m. on RSN Carnival, I'm Peter Holden. Thanks for your company and it's bye for now.